You're listening to Music Growth Talks, the podcast for musicpreneurs, with Andrew Apanov. Hello, hello, Andrew Apanov here. You're listening to the Music Growth Talks episode 113, and my guest today is Tom Sarek, the founder of Antifragile record label and the music business veteran for over two decades. Just go to the Data Music blog for the show notes to this episode and check out Tom's full biography on the Antifragile website as the amount of amazing artists Tom has worked with is mind-boggling to me. Um, just to mention a few things Tom has done over the years, um, he served as a Grammy-winning senior a executive at various major labels including Universal, Arista, MCA, a and DVD, working with the likes of The Roots, Nine Inch Nails, Plain 182, Annie Lennox, I Imogen Heap, DJ Shadow, Affix Twin Square, pushing so many others. He later opened his own management company, Easter Creative Group, and uh, managed the careers of artists such as Lou Reed, Brian Ferry, Ricky Lee Jones, uh, Cake Against Me, and once again, many, many others. I just don't want this episode to be other, an hour long by listing all of the artist whose career Tom has helped in one way or another. Uh, he has also produced several feature films as a side note, including Red Shirley's and Lou Reed's Berlin. Just a year and a half ago, Tom launched a record label, Antifragile Records, as you could guess, which is described in the About section, I'm quoting here, as a curator label and distributor for what we believe are select culturally distinguished independent music artist. Um, this about section also mentions um, a reaction against some of the established big labels who are not doing enough for artists anymore and are not transparent about their royalty payment process or formula. End of quote. So um, on this episode, uh, you will see how Tom's label is indeed quite different and uh, I, I don't even try to hide my fascination with um, the label's dedication to grow their artists instead of only focusing on getting as many streams or sales as possible, which, is, uh, which has become quite normal for the uh, uh, record business, which is understandable uh, considering how, uh, how it's been suffering over the past decade or two. This is going to be interesting and to all uh, the indie artists among you all the listeners of music growth talks i think you will be able to learn uh, a few interesting things here about how indie labels uh, operate these days what to watch out for in one and uh, uh, you will also see what uh, people like tom are looking for in musicians they sign You'll get a lot more context to it all by listening to this podcast episode in full. There is a few great tips on your content and branding strategy. Tom uh, also explains why it's not enough to get many streams uh, on Spotify or get these major uh, Spotify playlist placements to really break an artist. Uh, there, is, there is a lot more work that needs to be put in. This is where uh, an artist team comes in and it can be a record label or as a shameless plug of sorts it can be a music marketing agency like ours uh, but you get the idea you will get a better understanding how how crucial it is to have a team for uh, an artist's success here we go an interview with tom sarek the founder of anti-fragile records listen on hello tom welcome to music growth talks i'm excited to have you on the show Thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here. So as uh, we usually begin our conversation here, I would like to, uh, uh, to, to ask you to share a bit of your background. Um, I'm linking to, to the about section on the, of the uh, Anti-Fragile Music uh, website where everyone can go through, um, through your very impressive biography. You've done quite a few things in the music, but... Oh, thanks. Hey, if someone comes to you and asks what you do, how, how do you reply in short? Well, I think the through line 
throughout my career has simply been working with artists who I felt, well, whose music I loved first and foremost, and who I felt had some sort of cultural value beyond the music. I mean, I have always been a long career working as an A&R for major labels, as, as uh, ma- uh, leading a management company, and now for the last year and a half doing this record label. And it's always whatever the job was in whatever sector of the industry, the common denominator has always been just working with great artists who had some sort of interesting point of view, a cultural relevance beyond just having hits. You know, I, I, I want to have hits like the like every other guy, but like every other person, but I feel like uh, we're here, at least I'm here for to provide a service of exposing really great culture to the world. And I take that pretty seriously. Yeah, that's uh, quite a mission. And uh, the, the big question I was not going to ask it right away, but uh, since you mentioned that, since you, you've mentioned how you've been discovering these talents, uh, how like yeah can you give me an idea of how exactly you've been finding these acts that have something interesting to share and more than just the musical message probably are you talking about for antifragile music or just in general over my career uh in general you know when i first started in a&r was you know 20 some years ago um and that was the pre-email music business, essentially pre, pre like internet as we know it today, music business, it was like the nascent days of the internet. And so there wasn't consumption of music online the way there is now. So I, back then I had, and still have to a certain extent, a network of people whose tastes I liked and trusted who might have been talent buyers at uh, concert promoters, talent buyers at clubs around New York, around the world for that matter, whose taste I liked. I read a lot. I've always been a voracious reader of magazines and fanzines, and that's transferred itself these days to blogs. I'm, I'm an avid follower and reader of many, many, from maybe a hundred blogs at least that I try to look at every week or two. And I'm, I'm just really excited and interested by that feeling of discovering some new music, whether I'm going to work with them or not, even as I still go about it I still come to it as a fan, first and foremost. And I think that's been one reason that I've been able to have longevity is that my motive here is driven intrinsically rather than extrinsically. Like I, you know, I, I'm trying to, I do it because I love music and not because I want to necessarily have a certain amount of monetary success or not. Like I said, I do need to make a living and want to have hits, but at the same time, I, I don't go about it from that point of view. And I think whatever field you're in, whatever job you're doing, you know, happiness is derived from having intrinsic value from what you do. There, there needs to be some joy in the simple part of doing it rather than, oh, I have to do this in order to make a living, you know, and that line can get great at times for sure, but it also, it's important, I, I find, to really have that working for you, that you're really into music. So long answer to your questions that I, I really um, I really just simply enjoy discovering, checking out new music, listening to new music. Music has always been the biggest part of my life, whether in playing trombone in high school when I was a kid or, you know, uh, as a record collector or what have you. And the methods have changed and evolved as to how I find out about, discover new music, but the, the feeling and the process is exactly the same. Yeah, understood. And um, it, I think it's uh, quite important to a lot of our listeners who are trying to make it in the industry as artists themselves. And uh, we get quite a lot of questions about the platforms, um, industry professionals and curators uh, and people like yourself uh, use to to discover new acts. So it's it's really nice to, to hear that you are actually reading uh, uh, music blogs. I can imagine those are rather niche. Okay, do you use any kind of aggregators like uh, Hype Machine to discover new ones? I do look at Hype Machine, yes. I, and I do, uh, I don't see it every week, but I do try to like look and listen to some of the music on the charts every few weeks or so. And I do, I think, I think aggregators and filters, especially when they've, been shown to have 
some positive quality to them are really important because there's just today there's just way too much stuff out there to listen to. There's way too many. That, that's part of the problem we battle every day is how do we get our music to stick out among all the other stuff that's out there. And even if it's great, it's really difficult and you have to sort of scratch and claw for attention. And that's part of the problem today is that the while the barrier for entry has been lowered drastically, you know, anyone can, you know, hum on a record and put it out tomorrow on Spotify, but that doesn't mean anyone's going to care or listen to it. You have to, in a clever way, provide exposure for it. And that's, that's the real challenge. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But yeah, your approach is really appreciated. I think it translates into uh, the quality uh, as well. Fans can tell if uh, an artist um, or a, a team behind the artist worked way too hard trying to push it and make uh, a single hit, for example, in my opinion. So it's uh, sometimes it works out really well, especially the music is good but uh it's uh yeah if it comes more organically and naturally and if you just uh, have the the right talents in your roster then it's just uh, something that the fans will notice as well kind of makes sense but uh, it is important yeah so really uh interesting stuff on that and uh overall i mean i i we, we chatted a bit before uh this call and i w- i was really impressed even after reading that about section on your website in with your approach in working with artists is uh, there is this narrative uh, when I started um, this whole music marketing business um, theme of a decade ago, not relatively not that long ago, the narrative was that artists don't need record labels and that labels don't, uh, you know, even majors uh, don't pay out the advances and it's not even if they do, it's not really good deals and so on. So there had been some, you know, bad talk about record labels for such a long time and i see how it's changing right now yeah i'm but and that's absolutely correct i mean i don't say that it wasn't you know it wasn't true and there were i've I've heard too many stories of really bad deals both with major and indie labels from musicians so it's not yeah completely you know uh it it wasn't just biased uh talks so Right now, things are changing a bit. There are still lots of bad record labels out there, but we see a shift here, as as I feel it. Uh, but I don't still don't see too many record labels investing into artist development just as they do into record development. So how to push an album on as many Spotify playlists as possible to get as many streams, because this is where you get the money for, uh, for a record and, uh, you know, things like that, promoting the record, but actually investing in the artist as, as well. Can you yeah, share a bit more on, on how you view it, how you approach uh, this uh, record uh, uh, development versus artist development? Kind of well, thing? I, th- I think, Andrew, your point about there being a lot of, I guess, negativity about record labels and do you need a record label anymore and major labels, there's a, several different sides to that. I do think that artists do need some sort of team in order to, like I said, face that challenge of, as mentioned, uh, trying to rise above all the sheer mass of music that's out there and vying for people's attention today. And whether you want to have that be a record label, whether you want to call that a record label, whether it's your manager and their team, or whether whether it's an artist without a manager that just has a few friends around them who are particularly talented in social media, what have you, everyone needs I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it to where an artist just simply cut through everything and succeeded without any talented team around them helping in a very strategic, calculated way. Even if the music is sheer brilliance, you know, it's very difficult to do that. So everyone needs a team. And traditionally, the uh, record labels have sometimes been fantastic teams. Sometimes they've been horrible teams. But when you get into a good situation, a record label can be a great team. And part of the, in actuality, part of the reason that I started this record label, Anti-Fragile, last year was because of my frustration with some of my management clients, the experiences they were having with major labels and with independent, bigger independent labels. And if, that's actually not a disrespect to those labels so much. I think their system is somewhat broken. I, I think that the major labels 
whereas there's so many great people at major labels and so many great people who are actually in it for the right reasons. I, I do believe, I mean, there's a lot of bad people at major labels too, but there's so many great people at major labels who are in it for the right reasons, but just the way that the companies are set up as these sort of massive holding companies that have to sink most of their time and resources into very, very few records that will cover, that will make all the profits and cover the losses on the unprofitable ones. It's sort of a broken system for developing artists. And so, as I mentioned, the part, part of the main impetus, the main drive for me starting this record label 14 months ago was really that I was getting increasingly frustrated that some of the major labels that we were working with on my management companies, clients, some of the bigger indie labels weren't really doing so much anymore. And more, there has been a trend, at least with developing artists, to for labels like those to look to the management companies to start the marketing on artists. And that has put a tremendous amount of pressure on management companies who, though they are able to make income from commissioning an entire an, an artist's entire sort of career at the beginning there is no earnings for an artist at the beginning you know you can I've worked for two years on an artist and not made a dime before I've made money I've worked for a year or two on an artist and not made money and then nothing happened and you get nothing out of it so the management business is really a noble job and a noble business and, and having having done it and still doing it now though putting a lot of time into my label, but having done management for 14 years now, it's a job that I have a tremendous amount of respect for because you are, you know, you're really on the front line of making, trying to make everything happen, you know, really incentivizing and driving everyone on the team from the record label personnel to any independent people to booking agents and live music world people. It's really a tough job and it's important to have good partners. And, and so, you know, a lot of record labels just haven't been that team that it's not so much about money at a, at a lot of the bigger labels as it is a, about time. You know, I've seen artists that are signed to major labels and you really won't see, they're, they're put into the quote unquote system of a major label, but you really won't see more than, you know, two or three people at a major label sort of handling or putting any reasonable time or effort into that artist's music, you know? And so what is the benefit for a developing artist to be at a major label? It seems to make less and less sense. And, he, and Anyone at a major, who really knows that who works at a major label would be truthful with you and say kind of what I'm saying, that major labels are not about developing artists, that they're more about taking an artist who already has a good deal of success and trying to magnify that. You know, And as we get more and more into a world where the playing field has completely been leveled in terms of distribution, you know, there is no, as physical becomes less and less. There's less of a reason to sign with a major label. You know, their advantage really is in that 0.1% of the music business artists, the superstars who are dependent on, you know, the widespread hegemony of commercial radios around the world to have sort of that as big of a mass exposure as you can get these days, you know, so they're focused on that. So I really started kind of because I was... I was already doing that as a manager. You know, I started, I felt like I, I needed, because the major labels and other labels that some of my management clients were on were looking to me and my company to do, to start at least the marketing effort on an artist. I felt that I really needed to hire more sort of marketing and promotion oriented label people for my management company. You know, so at the time then, almost two years ago, I hired a radio person, a woman who did radio for Sony Red Labels here in New York. I had hired a, uh, a young marketing guy from Beggar's Group, you know, Excel, Matador, those labels, 4AD. And I was able to just provide more of a marketing framework and marketing service for my management clients. And then as the numbers with Spotify and Apple started to increase pretty dramatically just in the last you know, 18 to 24 months, I thought, well, why don't I just start a record label? I mean, I, I've been doing this for so long anyway. I know how to provide that service that an artist needs to get uh, that development service that an artist needs from a record label. And, you know, I, I kind of was excited to really focus a part of my life just on A&R and marketing, you know? Yeah. And no, it doesn't make sense. I, I was just going to ask if uh, you can give us an idea of what kind of deals you have with artists, if it's a long, 
more long term uh, one release or is something you you cannot reveal publicly? Yeah, I'm I'm happy to, um, and I'm I'm pretty open about it. I'm and I, I think there has been so much like hidden knowledge over the years in the music business that doesn't really serve anyone well. And I think transparency in business is a key to success in the future. And so our deals have been, you know, to really get the label going last year, to start the label, I had sort of the staff in place, that team that I felt could really help provide marketing and promotion services for records. But I wanted to make the, you know, having been on the artist side for as long as I have, I know what kind of works for artists and what doesn't work for artists. So I wanted to provide, to try and provide as much of a positive experience for artists as possible and to make the deal as simple as possible. So all the deals we've been doing up to now have been one-off deals. Sometimes we have an option if we, if we deliver a large amount of streams, you know, we have an option based on performance, but that, you know, that is earned upon major success. But essentially, apart from that, we've been doing completely one-off record deals. The artists typically will own their master, and so they retain ownership of their masters, and they will license us the record. And the structure of the deal is, like I know a lot of uh, indie labels do, is uh, a profit split. So we do uh, typically do a 50-50 profit split. And I find that that is a really, really good value trade. I mean, when you're making that, when you're doing a business deal in any business, all you ever want is to make a deal that is a positive value proposition for you. So I find that for artists who are on the rise, that some good things are starting to happen for, to sort of uh, have a team like us come in and do a record with them can be a really positive thing. And if we do really well, as we have already with a few things, the artist ends up coming back to us to do another record with us. And if we do really well and they end up signing to a major label or a big indie label or something, then God bless them. I'm, I'm fine with that as well. I think there's a, I really am a believer in uh, the world will provide philosophy, you know? Yeah, totally. And it's especially impressive that you invest in the artist promotion and marketing if you have one of deals like uh, from outside it may seem like uh, like something you may not be benefiting from but yeah it's a long-term strategy it makes sense first of all it's just this is an approach to help uh, artists build bigger brands and uh, uh, gain new fans and so on so that is great but of course it uh, can benefit you in the long run if that is becomes big eventually or comes back to you for another record deal that's that's really smart and uh and impressive and yeah thank you for sharing uh and being transparent here there is not a lot of information still on how these things look um like how the deals look these days versus you know five ten years ago and so on and um, for many artists shopping around or just uh considering a deal with an indie record label it may be useful so thank you for that do you have any interesting case studies examples any artists you would like to highlight and maybe using as an example of you know really cool success well, we, we just had um, our first number one Billboard album with a, 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 a Billboard, you know, the main American charts for years and years. There, Bluegrass and Americana charts. We just charted a band called Mipso, M-I-P-S-O, for uh, they're a wonderful four-piece band from North Carolina in the United States, and they're kind of they kind of fit into that. They're unique in that they have four really creative different people that write music. And I think they could be a really major band for years to come. Amazing songwriters, all of them. And they made just an incredible album. They have a really strong management team that is good to work with. And uh, we had some playlisting success out of the box. And it's been really reactive as well. And the band is really you know, doing their thing as far as touring in the States. And, you know, we're looking to try and get them outside of the U.S. for the latter part of the year. And that's really important to them and to us. And they hired William Morris as their agents a few months ago. But they're, they're kind of somewhere in between, like, singer-songwriter, Americana roots. But they're, they're a young band. They're very, they have a sort of traditional but sort of hip and young modern sound at the same time. So they kind of bridge a few different genres and they're just a really wonderful band. And uh, 
that's been a real joy because I think we're on our way to having, you know, maybe 50 million streams or more on this record and just came out a couple months ago. But that's one that's been really fun to do. And I think they're they're a band with a huge future, you know? Yeah, Mips is, is great. I mean, uh, I, I listen to some of their stuff, uh, amazing music, and I'm linking to them. I'm also linking to your playlist on Spotify so everyone can check out uh, some of the highlights. Uh, I, 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 I just, I don't know, I recommend that playlist as just as a, I mean, just as a great source of new and interesting music, even not depending on the musical preferences of, the person listening to us right now so yeah check out the show notes yeah a really really cool cool case study i i, I hope that uh i'm sure that some bigger things will be happening with them in the nearest future uh and uh yeah so seems like you 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 have had quite a few major spotify playlist placements as well right and in the native spotify playlist too yeah i mean it seems like every week we're getting some really good playlisting from Spotify, from Apple Music as well. People have been uh, really, uh, curators have been really receptive to our music. I think, I, I, I mean, I, me and my team have had a lot of like relationships at those play, at the DSPs coming into it. So I think we had a bit of a way to just present music to people and been doing it for a while. So that probably helped a bit or a lot, but um, we're also doing some really good music. And so, uh, they've all been really receptive, you know? And I think there's actually some really, you know, credit to Spotify in creating this sort of playlist system. You know, there's nothing that really existed like that in the old physical world or even the downloads world, right? So it's kind of a new way to try and create a story, create some income, create uh, something to leverage more success off of, which just wasn't available before. And to Spotify's credit, they've gone and created a really long tail of playlists for every sort of mood and genre you can shake a stick at and really um and they've really built that in a way that I think is is really going to be super positive for them in the long run. And they have curators there that are actually, I think, pretty thoughtful about music. They're not, you know, it's a breed apart from what we knew previously as like commercial radio curators, you know, programmers. They're much more sort of just completely music-focused young people who seem to be really on it, you know? Yeah, and yeah, I can't agree more on the importance of the playlist and uh, and the benefits are clear. And it's clear that your connections here have been coming handy. Uh, the music has to be great, but this is, uh, this is what you are doing as a team, working with that is just as you mentioned. So uh, definitely your expertise in, in pitching and your connections play a vital role here. Something slightly irrelevant, uh, well, sort of relevant, uh, something we were just discussing with one of our artists a few hours ago, how the problem with the playlist uh, is that um, sometimes you just talk to someone uh, active on Spotify and you listen, and you ask them what kind of music they listen to and they may tell you which playlist they listen to. They don't always remember the, name of the, the names of the artists because it's more of a passive lean back experience for so many people. So translating those streams into actual fans who will be paying attention to new shows, releases, and so on is um, tricky. Also, thankfully, Spotify is adding some features with um, announcing the shows uh, from, you know, you can do like connect Songkick and, uh, and connect some social media profiles. So they're kind of making some changes there, but still it's... Um, have you seen that it's been uh, sort of an issue for the acts you work with? Yeah, I mean, it's an issue for sure, but it's a good problem to have. It's not like we had this before in the music business. So it's a found method of exposure and a found method of revenue that didn't exist even a few years ago. So it's far be it for me to complain about it. Yeah, it's an issue that um, there are artists getting a lot of streams on Spotify on playlists, which are a lean, uh, some, many of which are sort of, like you said, a lean back experience. So there's not a lot of artist recognition on the playlist. Well, that is precisely where we come in as a label in trying to connect the dots, like, you know, drawing people from a certain big playlist we may have gotten a song on to try and make that connection to the actual song and name of the artist, people who may be listening to that playlist, you know? 
is really the challenge and what's important because, yeah, I think that's, that is a problem that um, a lot of artists who, I think it becomes more, more important than ever, like I started the conversation off with, to have a good team. Because if you're getting added, to, if an artist is getting added to a bunch of good playlists and they're not doing that sort of marketing work on the other end to try and connect the dots and make those streams result in real success, not just streaming success, you know, real artist success for that artist, you know, they are really to their detriment to not have a, them and their team have a good team working at, at building a real, real artist success. But, you know, we, we, I went into this knowing that though playlists have enabled us to have like a real potent business in doing this record label and publishing company that I do, but I'm under no illusion that getting a lot of these streams for artists as great as it is. And as thankful as I am for it, as grateful as I am for it, I'm under no illusion that it's actually breaking artists. I think it's, you know, I think breaking artists comes into, we still have to do all the work that we had, we would have to have done before Spotify and Apple and whatnot existed. You know, we still have to do all the hard work of PR and social media and radio and all the things that we do as a record label. You can't just expect streaming to essentially be the marketing plan. You know, you have to actually have to build the career alongside that, in between that, coming off of that playlisting and streaming. Does that make sense? Totally. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that you brought it up. It's... um it's very important to remember it's not just about uh, uh, getting those streams and spins as, uh, as an end goal. It's, uh, it can be beneficial in so many ways and uh, it's profitable as well, but uh, it doesn't stop there. So it's, it's, I'm glad that you brought it up. It's confusing because streaming is you know, now become the, the principal way of people interacting with music in a lot of the world. And so... You know, you have the lean back experience, which is someone listening to a playlist and not really necessarily internalizing what every artist is on the playlist like I would do versus going to Spotify and seeking out an artist that you like or heard about or is your favorite artist and listening to that artist through their profile on Spotify. So both of those things are existing on Spotify. So, you know, we try to distinguish between you know, the so-called lean back spins and then what are the lean back streams and what are the, and then what are the sort of streams which are either through an artist profile or through non-Spotify curated playlists on Spotify, uh, you know, and try and make that balance a little better and have it, you know, as you create more of a career for an artist, the balance can tip and more of those streams will come from an artist profile. I mean, there are some veteran artists who I've managed and worked with who, you know, you look at their Spotify analytics, Spotify for Artists page, and 50, 60% of their or more of their streams come from their profile, you know, because they're older artists who are not getting playlists. And that's the way that people are listening to their music is coming to Spotify and listening to them there. And we'd love, you know, and then on the opposite of that, we see some developing artists who we may be fortunate enough to get some playlist action on who have 80 to 90% of their streams as uh, Spotify curated playlist streams, which though I'm not complaining, it's wonderful. It's not a real career and it's, and it's really incumbent on us as a record label and as partners with Spotify because Spotify has given us this gift, so to speak, but incumbent on us as a label to meet Spotify halfway and do all the normal you know, hard work of marketing and promotion to try and create a career around this gift that we gave in a playlist, you know? That's great insight. I mean, we, yeah, yeah. I just, I appreciate you, you sharing that. I hope that the message is clear to you. Uh, a lot of our listeners here because still so many people are focused on getting the streams as the end goal. It's very important. It's very important to appear in those playlists. Of course, not everyone has the opportunity to even reach the curators or uh, even if the music is great, but yeah, it's it it just doesn't stop there. So working on everything else, uh, including social media and uh, NPI and uh, everything else, else you mentioned, is is crucial here. Hey, so I have a, a question to you here. So maybe you won't have any particular recommendation on insight, but among the all the artists you worked with, and you worked with a ton of artists throughout all these years, do you have any? Is there anything? Uh, 
you would recommend uh, artists just starting to work with uh, a team, a new partner like a record label, maybe like yours, uh, so that that would uh, make your job easy and more effective? Maybe some of the common mistakes uh, musicians make. So from your perspective as a manager and record label owner, so what what are the characteristics of the artists uh, with whom it's a pleasure to work with, but also it's a very fruitful relationship? Yeah, I would say that the ones that are the most fun to work with, besides having great music, is are the ones who understand that it's a team effort and a team sport. And for us to have success with their music, that it's not simply a label creating something around them, that it's very much a collaboration. And now more than ever, you know, it used to be in the old days that I'm talking about the days before social media, where an artist would just make their record. And then, you know, the only thing that was really public facing for them after making their record was touring, really. And and that doesn't apply to every single artist. But nowadays, you know, and unfortunately, in some respects, I guess, an artist must be able to do social media in a very intelligent, clever sort of way. And I find that the artists that are, that are the ones that are the most rewarding, the most fun to work with are artists who understand what their responsibilities are continuing after their record is made in terms of live appearances and in terms of social media. Because without those two things happening, it's almost impossible for big success to happen. I find that big success tends to happen when a bunch of different things are happening at the same time and that are positive for an artist. And I send this uh, news bit around that I send to a lot of our artists from time to time. It was an article from months ago. I think it was in The Fader, and it was about Lana Del Rey. I think is a really great artist, but whether you like her or hate her, it, was about, it wasn't about Lana Del Rey's music per se. It was about how Lana Del Rey is so brilliant at her Instagram and how she's actually not just... She's actually built fans, not just maintained fans or, or sort of stoked her, the people that are, you know, she has a real cult of personality with her fans. So she already has something great, but how she really builds upon that through her Instagram. And it showed like one particular clip in this article about Lana Del Rey sort of sitting in an old 1972 Ford car, like an old car doing a selfie video for like 45 seconds or whatever the maximum is for Instagram. And she's sort of singing softly along to a Joni Mitchell song on the car stereo. So that hits her brand so perfectly. Uh, she so understands kind of what her brand is and what are the sort of characteristics of her brand. And she's able to create content in sort of an effortless way that is kind of uh, unified with what her, her music brand is. In other words, with like giving people more about more and different aspects about what they already like about you is really important. And not a lot, not a lot of artists actually understand that or are good at that. A lot of artists, you know, I've gotten complaints over the years from artists who say, Oh, I don't, I hate social media because I don't want to reveal anything personal about myself. And to that, you know, I don't love social media either. So I agree with them in one respect, but I mean, I must, I use social media. I don't, you know, put any information on there, like my kids' names or anything, but I use it as sort of a, a place to talk about my work and music that we're working with and artists we're working with and sort of promote. And that's really what, you know, from the artist's point of view, their responsibility is to sort of be an extra uh, way to communicate with their fans via these platforms, especially Instagram, but also you know, Facebook and, and Twitter and whatnot, and having, you know, there's no substitute for having an excellent email list. But a lot of artists, it's getting better, definitely as time goes on. And we actually have a list of social media tips that we send to artists often and that social media guideline that it, a lot of artists have told us like that stuff is really helpful. And I'm always sending our artists every week, literally something on like how to do how to get better at doing social media. And it's not about like Instagramming out pictures of what you ate for breakfast. It's more about like figuring out, distilling down what your artist message is. What do people like about you already? And then trying to, in that Lana Del Rey fashion, 
you know, voice that in other ways. And so, you know, Lana Del Rey singing along to a Joni Mitchell song is not her song, obviously. She's not sort of pimping or selling her own music, but she's sort of selling, she's sort of portraying the vibe of what she's all about in, you know, sitting in it in with one of her, in the way she dresses in like an old 1970s car. She's kind of like retro futuristic, I guess, in a way and, and really clever. And it just, um, it just kind of summed up what she does, and she's able to really um, service her fans in such a wonderful way and share with them. But she's not really saying anything necessarily that's personal about herself. And so I find the, mo- the best, the most clever artists do this in a really smart way. And it's not a natural thing. So I know it's not easy to do, but I think it's really important. It's not as important as writing great songs, obviously, but I think it's really important for artists to try to figure that out. At our level, where, where we're kind of a new, starting off a new label, we're dealing with, you know, essentially developing artists, you know, in various levels of success, but developing artists. And, you know, we always encourage artists to have a social media calendar that's two months out based on like, what are they going to talk about each week? We really encourage artists to really be on top of their social media and just to communicate. And, and like I said, with, with developing artists, like we're working with primarily, they don't really have a cult of personality. Like I say, like Lana Del Rey does, like she's already a star and she's kind of, uh, she, she's used Instagram and Facebook and Twitter to make herself more of a star, but she's in a different position than say an artist, like a lot of the artists we work with who are developing, who I think for developing artists, the thing that seems to work the best when people don't know who you are is uh, things like you know acoustic or live versions of songs that have a certain live feel that can come across in a 45-second video or that plus uh, the artist sort of talking about their songs and what their songs are about. Just like something that can help someone, a possible fan that's scrolling through Instagram be welcomed into your world as an artist. And that's what we try to encourage, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, it totally makes sense. And actually for new and uh, developing artists, it's also possible to to figure it out on their own. When they're starting out, they don't have too many followers who pay attention yet, so they have a room for experimentation and building a voice just, just as they build a voice as singers, musicians, and so on, they can build it on social media. So it's it's powerful. You can uh, experiment a lot when you don't have a massive audience yet. So don't not all musicians see it that way, but it actually is an advantage if you treat it that way. Absolutely. So any, I mean, so much great advice here and uh, something that is applicable to musicians at different stages of their careers, I think. Is there anything that's been on your mind lately maybe that? you would uh, want to share with uh, with our listeners as a closing thought? Maybe something as a, a related to the music industry news or a trend or just a, an additional bonus advice to musicians? Well, I think, um, I think we're in a really chaotic time in the development of the music business. And I think I say that in, in actually in a positive way because in my career for, for the first part of my career when I was in A&R, that was still sort of the old sort of classic music business where the major record labels were sort of the center of the business. They spent a lot of money in trying to develop an artist's career when they felt it was a good investment. And from sort of 2001 or 2002, I started, I got out of A&R into management in 2003 or four, but um, from 2001 or two, all the way up to 2015, the masters, the, the recording business has decli- was declining and declining as is well publicized, declining pretty rapidly. And so there was, it was very difficult to make a living from your recordings as an artist, you know? And so luckily for me, I was in management for most all of that time. And we had several clients that did quite well in terms of touring. And so, you know, the, the lion's share of the income from my management company was earned via our artists uh, touring. But now we're in, you know, just in the last, I'd say, you know, those, though I've had Spotify since day one, the last seven or eight years or whatever. And so those, those Spotify has been around for a while, only in the last year or two, really since we started the label and it's getting better has, has the streaming, has the streaming market, the amount of people signing up 
for Apple, Spotify, Deezer, et cetera, growing and growing. But the playlisting infrastructure is growing and changing every day. And so it's a really exciting time with a lot of possibilities. And I'm someone who is always interested in, you know, music startups. There's, there's a load of interesting new music startups out there. And you can certainly do become an expert, do something positive for the music business from being anywhere in the world. Andrew, you're an example of that. I mean, I found out about you from getting, from seeing one of your emails and, you know, you're this kid from Lithuania, right? It was just like now, you know, uh, doing, you know, putting forth your knowledge, putting, making an effort. And, you know, you're from kind of a place in the world that 20 years ago would have been very difficult for you to succeed in the music business. Yet, because of your knowledge and your attitude, your positive attitude of like going for it, that's where I come from. And, and I think there's a, there's a lot of room for people who are self-starters and who apply themselves. And the other thing is that when, you know, when I started, there was not really like the internet like there is today. So you can find out, and I'm sure you would probably agree with this, knowing a little bit about your success, like the answer to almost any question you could imagine is there on the internet. If you research it, <laughs> if, you, if you have a will to find the answer, if you have a will to solve a problem, if you have a will to have success in some way, you can find the answer through research, through talking to people, through reaching out, through just being, I found that the thing that has led me in my life and career more than anything else is curiosity. And that's really what's behind music discovery also. It's really curiosity. And that's what really drives me in business too. And I, I sense that you're kind of that kindred spirit. And, and I think what you're doing is fantastic. And I think you're building an, an amazing effort as a really young person being in the part of, part of the world. I mean, you could be in Antarctica for all that matter and do what you're doing. But, the, the, but I think it's uh, really impressive. And so to get back to your, your question, my advice to young artists or young people who want to be in the music is just start doing it. Just, I mean, just get out there and start, you know, putting out music if you're an artist. You know, uh, like you said, with, with artists without much of a social media following, you have room to experiment. I mean, it, no one's watching at first. You know, just kind of don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to fail fast. Just go and do it. And if you're someone who wants to be in the music business, figure out what your best talent is, what you like the most, and you're probably going to be successful in something that you really like and are pretty good at, most likely. And really just forge ahead and, and network. And, you know, gosh, today between LinkedIn and, and, you know, all the other, you know, social media connectable platforms, it's imminently possible to connect literally with anyone in the entire world in a way that just wasn't possible years ago. And someone like me is really, uh, has really appreciates that. And so any sort of negativity about it being sort of chaotic in the world, that's more than balanced out by the positivity of the possibilities of what we have in our hands now to really do fun, great, wonderful work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so that, that's my advice to young artists. It's just like, just go and do it. Find your team, start putting out music, get, get, figure out what your voice is on social media, get really good at it. And if your music is really great, you'll, you'll probably succeed, you know? Yeah, totally. I can't agree more. And, uh, thank you for the nice words and thank you for the advice. I think it's just brilliant. And, uh, yeah, we need to be passionate about what we do just as a side note. So, I mean, uh, everyone I know in the music business, uh, really into it. Uh, otherwise it's just uh, a really tough world to survive in. But uh, uh, we don't need to convince musicians to love music. I think so. They just need to. They just need to to really stick to it and uh, and do what you just said. So thank you for that advice. And uh, yeah, so just as a reminder to everyone listening to us right now that uh, I'm linking to all the you know to to your artists and to the record label websites and to some of the. Uh, social media profiles uh, and uh, yeah so I guess everyone interested uh, should just follow uh, you do you have uh, do you accept submissions uh, from musicians I do yeah and you can uh, you can uh, just you know, go to the website and you can submit from there but I think you know it's important we're looking to work with artists who kind of are already starting to show and prove in essence that they want 
to and are able to be successful. You know, it's it's hard for us with the kind of people that I employ here and with my experience to start with an artist from absolutely square one. We're looking for artists who, you know, who definitely are looking, have had a little success and are looking to build like their team yeah, of yeah, champions, yeah. you know? Yeah, totally. No, absolutely. And when some of our subscribers ask me if if they should get in touch with one of the guests of the show, I usually make it very clear that how they should uh, First, uh, familiarize themselves with uh, the existing roster, look into their numbers and see if it's the right fit because it doesn't serve anyone to just uh, send uh, a submission just in case if you know that uh, it's not necessarily the right fit for a company like a record label in this case, yeah. you or, or the artist. So yeah, thank you a lot for, uh, for that tip and uh, everything you shared today. Once again, uh, really looking forward to uh, the success of your artists and uh, the development of the record label. It's been around for just over a year and already seen quite great success. So uh, good luck with that and thank you. Thank you very much, Andrew. We'll talk very soon. Thanks again. Thanks a lot to Tom for the excellent insights. I personally enjoyed learning from him a lot. And uh, as a side note, not to sound disrespectful to him in any way, but I'm actually not from Lithuania. I'm Russian. And indeed, I grew up in Kaliningrad, which is a small enclave located between Lithuania, Poland and the Baltic Sea. Some of you may even have heard uh, of it for the first time thanks to the World Cup. Anyway, Tom's point was very clear and I indeed am quite grateful for being able to efficiently run a fully location-independent music marketing agency, Data Music, uh, with a very talented team uh, pretty much spread around the world. Going back to the podcast, if you have any feedback, as always, don't forget to leave some comments or even better, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or even better, support the show and get access to exclusive podcast episodes and lessons by becoming my patron at patreon.com forward slash Andrew Epanath. And don't forget to check out what Andy Fragile is up to, all the links including their website and the Spotify playlist, which I mentioned during our conversation, which I highly recommend you checking out in the show notes at dotedmusic.com. Thank you and till next time. You've been listening to Music Growth Talks with Andrew Apanov. Find more episodes and subscribe at musicgrowthtalks.com.